Welcome to the Time Lords Podcast. We go beyond the buzzwords to learn exactly how people are building the industrial internet of things and using time series data to transform their businesses. I'm your host, Lonnie Bowling. Today, I'm joined by guest Kelsey Bobek, uh, Senior Analytics Intelligence Engineer at EDF. Hi, Kelsey. Welcome to the show. Hi, Lonnie. Thanks for having me. So, Kelsey, for our listeners that don't know you, could you share a little bit about yourself and what you do? Sure. So uh, I joined EDF about a year and a half ago. And since then, I've been working on both uh, solar and wind projects, um, anything from front end and back end development for our Orca platform, which you're familiar with. Yes, um, yes. For for displaying operational data to our um, field uh, folks, um, to getting data up into AWS, um, Redshift, uh, S3 buckets, all of that using um, some OSI soft tools. Um, and generally just working on, uh, working with the operational data that we collect using the Pi system. Cool. Thank you. Well, um, so I, I have some questions that, um, I was thinking of before the podcast. So the one thing that I, I know Kelsey and I have worked together, um, at EDF, um, I'm a, uh, a contractor consultant there. I've been working with the team. I think I've mentioned that in a few, a few different podcasts. So, so I know Kelsey, and she's uh, super bright. Uh, and by the way, Kelsey, you are the first uh, woman on the Time Lords podcast, so you'll Ooh. always you'll always have that. Yes, <laughs> top of the resume. <laughs> yes, yes. So awesome. I'm really really glad you're here. So, yeah. So you have a you have a you, you know with the recent work experience that you have working with AWS. Um, I'm glad you mentioned that because you you kind of have uh, a lot of pie experience, and so you understand like the, the traditional way that we've dealt with time series data, collecting data on the edge, moving into a pie, the pie system specifically. But you've also been exposed to uh, some of the new stuff w- with uh, AWS, right? And so I'm I'm curious, do you have any um, like uh, like observations, like how are they different? Uh, do you feel like that that um, you know what you're doing in AWS is potentially like going to replace the Pi system sometime someday, or is the Pi system still going to be relevant for a while, or or anything like that? Do you have a so yeah, you have that perspective. I'm curious to see what your thoughts are on it. Um, I think I think at least not in the in the near the near future would would um, the cloud. Uh, replace the Pi system. I think it's still so, it's so critical to getting operational folks um, just on a minute to minute basis, the data that they need. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's things such as the Kinesis streams in AWS that would allow you to send real time data, but um, it's, it's not meant, at least as far as I'm aware, to handle the the sheer amount of data that we would be sending through the Pi system. You know, we have um, I think close to about 800,000 tags in in mm-hmm. our Pi system for EDF uh, across about 50 sites right now. So, just the the amount of um, work that it would take uh, to get that data then into AWS and uh, visualize that data, provide it in a way that's actually digestible to the end users. Um, I just don't think that the tools and and the the work, um, the 
the resources are, are there right now, you know, with, with the pie system, there's, there's such a wealth of, um, knowledge and experience out there already. Mm-hmm. Uh, even before I, when I found out, um, you know, you worked with EDF, I, I had known you from pie square. Like I had seen your name <laughs> all over the place. So it was so right. exciting that I was going to get to work with you and so intimidating too. <laughs> I still remember our first call and I was like, oh, gosh, I can't make, I can't oh, make a dummy out of myself. So, um, but it's just, there's still, I think, a lot more work to do. And I just don't think it's it's ready. To, um, you know, they talk about it on a, kind of a big data, on a big data basis. Yeah. But I don't think it's the big data in, in terms of what we're working with. I think it's a different kind of big data. Um, you know, looking back historically, it might be better for a, a historical purpose for uh, machine learning and analysis, you know, the glue jobs and all that, uh, you know, they, they could serve their purpose, but uh, especially at the day-to-day and, and minute-to-minute, hour-to-hour level, it's the pie system is just, you know, not to be, not to be matched. Right. So what's the, what's like the reasoning behind, you know, moving the data out of Pi and into like Amazon? What's the, what's the drivers? Are there, are there specific things that are trying to be accomplished that you really can't do kind of as Pi is now? Um, are there, are there, are there hopes of, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to get somewhere with this that, you know, we can't right now. Are there, have you heard anything about that? Um, so one of the one of the biggest drivers uh, for the project at EDF was to have a global data lake um, to uh, because EDF uh, Renewables North America is a subsidiary of um, EDF um, Renouvelable. I'm sure I butchered that, <laughs> but it's the French. It's our French right. parent company, and that's part of EDF Energy, which is a global company. Um, you know, we've got sites all around the world. Uh, so they wanted to get that data all into one place. Um, one of the first questions I asked when I joined the company was why, who mm-hmm. asked for that? And nobody really had an answer. <laughs> mm-hmm. So um, I, I think the there's a, a lot of still um, that it sounds like a really great idea, um, but the whys are still kind of, we're, we're getting there, but mm-hmm. we still haven't fully fleshed all of that out. Um, I think some of, some of the things like the idea of a global data lake could be accomplished through um, a Pi server up in the cloud mm-hmm. um, or something similar, another uh, you know data historian up in the cloud and through uh, trusts and that sort of thing. So everyone could access it. And there's just a lot of different ways. This was the way that they chose. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's, it certainly made a lot of progress in the past year Mm -hmm. and they've got some live dashboards and, um, you know, users actively using it. I believe the data is displayed in Tableau, but it's mainly more for historical purposes. Um, and a big, a big part of that also was to reduce redundancies and, you know, the EU building a dashboard and doing uh, machine learning while the U S was also doing kind of the same thing, but nobody was talking to each other. So it's, it's been a project that kind of spurred those conversations to actually happen. So from that perspective, it's been a, a really great um, exercise and a really great learning process. Um, and our collaboration has certainly has certainly grown significantly, um, you know, across the pond, if you will. Uh-huh. Uh, but 
I don't know that it's necessarily something that you that's AWS specific or right. that couldn't have been done in Pi or I mean even couldn't have been done in Azure or something else. Right. Um, so like everybody got together um, because okay, we're gonna we're gonna store the data in a common place. So uh, it, and that was kind of decided at a you know at a um, at the top level, right? And then so when when uh, U.S. and France and and everybody else sort of talking because they had to talk because the data is all going to go into one place, right? So we've got to figure this out together now. And that naturally created a, um, you know, uh, uh, converse, or conversations that started occurring and people started exchanging ideas and getting, you know, getting, um, I guess, a plan together that would serve the entire company, not just a, a, an individual region. And you didn't have, maybe there's not going to be as much, this, there's the regions doing the same thing, duplicating effort. Uh, and, and instead of more working collaboratively on the same thing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what, what are, what are some of this, you know, because, uh, when I do talk to companies there, everybody's really interested in the cloud and, um, you know, kind of like have, uh, part of a, you know, overall digital transformation. I know this has been happening at EDF too. Um, but it's not just EDF. It's, 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 it's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of organizations now are looking at this and especially with, you know, in our area, and the um, time series data, operational time series data, uh, this is a big focus for companies like like EDF, where you know their their business is uh, you know running uh, wind and solar farms, which has just tons of operational data, and that that data could be used to, for a lot of stuff. So everybody's thinking, okay, hey, we we need to get some kind of a common platform in the cloud typically tends to be where everybody wants to go because uh, the cloud solves some, some difficult problems that are, that are difficult, that are hard to um, figure out otherwise. So do you have like a, do you feel like that there is some kind of a, um, like uh, some kind of a upside to going into the cloud? Do you see benefits that are happening? I mean, we talked about one around just the people aspect, but as far as the technology goes, do you feel like there's promise that it's going to solve some hard problems and that this is actually, this actually would make sense kind of as a long-term long -term type of thing? That's a, that's a tough question. <laughs> hey, man, I know you're up for it. Yeah, so just to yeah to rephrase it, like what are the strengths, right? What are what are some of the things that, you know, if what forget about Amazon, but just if it was like like you said, moving Pi into the cloud. Now, how would that be different than having it on prem? What are some of the things that would could could possibly you know happen if if you could start architecting something at that kind of in that kind of way? Um, I think it's really just the uh, potential or potential ease of, of global global accessibility. I, I should say maybe purported ease of mm -hmm. global accessibility. Um, it's it's not something I'm I'm the cloud beyond trying to get uh, high data into the cloud. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something I'm super familiar with in actually working within it. Um, it's it's kind of you know, when, when people talk about the cloud, you know, they're not really thinking about the fact that it's just a bunch of like servers in a basement somewhere, you know, it's just <laughs> kind of taking it, you know, it's just like you, you took the servers out of your, yeah, or, you know, or some warehouse in Iceland. Like, I mean, that's, it's just kind of, it's not, 
you know, I, I guess what I think we're, some of the questions, uh, like I said before, about why still really uh, kind of remain unanswered, at least yeah. when you're talking about moving from something like the Pi system to the cloud. Like, yeah. well, why? And, you know, one of the things is cost, but um, can you actually take away the Pi system, for example, or are you going to um, have to keep it to get data into the cloud like we are? Or um, do you have to now get edge devices? Or what What are you going to be doing in AWS or Azure or something else? That uh, And how is it going to, what is it going to actually cost you in the end? Because, mm-hmm. you know, you can talk about storage space. Uh, I feel like I should just stop here and just say, I don't really know what the positives are. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I think this is, this is a struggle, right? Um, you know, so here you are, you're, you're super involved technically with projects that involve the cloud, right? And you're trying to, uh, you know, you're trying to to match up what what what's happening, you know, with time series data on prem. The way it's been done for a long time, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it's thought out things. It works. Then there's a desire to. Um, at an initiative to start moving all this stuff in the cloud so that everybody can access this data. But it's a struggle, right? Because it's like how, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like that it's like, where do you start? You know, what what are you even going to use to do this? And then are you actually going to end up with something that's going to be superior to what you already have? Or is it going to just be like more difficult? Um, and I, I, I don't know if you feel that way or not, but I just see a lot of people kind of wondering like, okay, where, what are we going to do here? How are we going to do this? And not a lot of, um, great answers that, you know, are like, oh, well, this is a proven way to, to accomplish all this stuff. And this is what you can do. Right. It's, it's more about, um, the buzzwords and uh, jumping on the bandwagon than necessarily thinking about, um, uh, you know, the outcome of it and, and the impact, um, you know, intention is one thing, impact is another. Um, and I mean, uh, one of the reasons kind of often given is like machine learning. But when I was at my, at my previous company, we were a consulting firm. One of the things I did was um, use Azure for machine learning just through the console. And I did a project where I wanted to predict building energy usage for the next day. And it was just, I have no experience with machine learning. So I just gave it my best shot until Mm -hmm. I found something that worked. But to get data in and out of there to send the... um, to send like what the next day's uh, forecasted temp high would be and then get the uh, forecasted um, energy usage back, I just wrote a PowerShell script. I mean, it was running on my desktop, you know? I mean, it was just, it was so basic and, and simple. Like you don't need an entire infrastructure to do something like that. Uh, you know, it's like, I think one of the biggest things that I see is people just, they just think big, which is great, but pick a a small step to start. You know, if, if you're just always thinking like, well, we could put, you know, I, I don't know, we could just send a man to the moon. Okay. Well, let's first get something like flying in the air. Like let's put a paper right. airplane up in the sky right. and make sure that can fly first. And then like, let's build upon that. 
Um, and I, I think, you know, at least for me, getting um, data to and from uh, Azure for machine learning, it was just, you know, a PowerShell script. Like mm-hmm. I wasn't, I didn't go to my boss and say, can you sponsor the entirety of, uh, you know, an Azure infrastructure and hire three engineers, cloud engineers, so that way I can get the the build, forecasted building energy usage for 10 buildings. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, so I... I think that's a really good point, you know, where if you kind of step back, you know, if you're, if you're sitting here and as a company, you're trying to figure out, okay, well, how are we going to, how are we going to do this? What are we going to do instead of just, yeah, instead of just going and creating a lot of infrastructure without really a clear understanding of, of how things are actually going to work and what makes sense to, to do some small projects around, you know, the use cases that you have in mind, hopefully there are use cases. Um, and then, and then kind of like see where that takes you and start, and then start exploring the landscape of technology that's out there. You know, once you, once you kind of settle on, okay, Hey, this is, this seems like it's going to show some promise. And so, okay, how do we, how do we take this to the next step? Like if we want to move it into a production type of thing, what would that look like? It doesn't have to be massive at that, at that point either. Right. It could be something pretty pretty, pretty small. Um, it could be, you know, it could just be more reliable because, it's in the, you know, we might just take what we have and put it in, in the cloud because it's just, you know, better, uh, you know, uh, infrastructure wise, you know, the computers are going to stay up and running where if I have it in my office building and I lose power, I don't have backup, you know, that kind of right. stuff. There you go. A positive, even better, like high availability. We, we, we found a know? positive. It was a struggle. Yes, we found a positive. We're, we're yes. 20 minutes into the podcast. Yeah. And we justified. Yeah. <laughs> it's justified. That's it. We're done. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think... It's, uh, you know, finding those use cases, especially, you know, at my last job um, working with a university, you know, they had very um, like limited funding. But if they found uh, things that would work, they could justify it to the board and and get additional funding. So one of the things that we did, I think we were given about forty thousand dollars to um do a project about um, room scheduling, like HVAC um, conditioning of a room. and we found out that we could save them up to $3 million a year wow. um, on conditioning just by doing a $40,000 two-person, like, two-month project, um, or, you know, and just uh, that just, I mean, and we just, we started small and we could actually, you know, show our logic behind it. And, you mm-hmm. know, we did it on like different types of rooms. We, we studied, you know, an auditorium and, and a small dorm and, you know, just like just different things. And, um, so just, just starting small and actually proving, and then also having a, a, a verifiable and concrete stopping point. Why, why are you going to stop here? And, and when are you going to stop? When are you going to say, no, this isn't working mm-hmm. and actually call it and not being afraid of failure mm-hmm. because, you know, failing means you did something and you tried. And that doesn't mean you didn't learn anything, right. uh, you know, making sure that you learn from it and continue on from there and maybe use that knowledge and what you gained from, from that experiment to build your next use case and your next attempt. Uh, but this kind of, well, we'll give it a couple more months. Well, we'll give it a couple more months. And it, eventually you kind of, you've 
put all this money, this effort, um, you know, blood, sweat and tears into it and you don't really have much to show for it. And people are asking, well, what was your use case? What, where, where were your benchmarks? And you don't really have an answer. Yeah. 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 That, that doesn't sound like it would be a good thing at all. Um, so, you know, we, so we, we kind of like on the, on the cloud part, we kind of focus a little bit, I think around like the technology, the infrastructure, the hardware, that kind of stuff. Um, but let's, let's talk a little bit about the data itself, you know, so let's talk about the, um, I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uses for data and for the, the data that we're, that we're used to dealing with the time series data from operations. So like, you know, we have, you know, wind turbines or solar panels and that's producing information. Are you seeing any kind of trends around what people are trying to do with this data and how they're using it? Um, you know, just, I know, I know you haven't been at EDF very long, but you know, you've been working for some other, other places too. Are you seeing any kind of, um, like, uh, approaches to this, to, to consuming this data, some, some common things that you're seeing happening? To consuming the data in terms yeah, of... Yeah, like how, 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 how are they, what are they, what are people trying to do with this data, you know, um, and, and, and what are some of the, you know, not, it doesn't have to be like a, a specific use case, but are there, are there general ways or approaches that people are trying to take advantage of this, of this data? Because in the past, you know, a long time ago, nobody ever even paid attention to this data for the most part. It was just used for, for somebody to figure out, okay, hey, our, our wind turbine's down, or we need to turn it on, or we need to turn it off, or we need to just, uh, you know, make sure that it's, it's running. And, uh, you know, if it's a manufacturing plant, we just need to make sure that, you know, the stuff's up and running and, and that we don't have a high, high temperature or whatever like that. So it's really primitive and it was mostly around just operating the equipment, right? So every now everybody's like, okay, hey, we got all this data. Uh, what are we going to do with it? Type yeah, of thing. I think one of the biggest things is, uh, you know, a, a move to, um, a move to, proactive instead of reactive maintenance and, and um, optimizing the actual performance of, for example, a turbine mm -hmm. um, or a, a solar uh, panel, um, an inverter, something like that, in terms of how they're, you know, looking at the data to see, can we, um, you know, change uh, the setting of a of the yaw to, um, to make sure that we're optimizing the, um, you know, power production uh, mm -hmm. for the turbine um, that the trackers for a solar um, solar panel is working correctly. Um, just essentially getting more and more into not only the optimization. So I guess the optimization okay. portion optimization. and then the, and then, yeah. And then the, the proactive maintenance instead of like break fixes. Mm -hmm. um, and I think at least um, and that's, from the operational uh, field portion, um, that's kind of been put on hold with uh, with COVID because um, you know they're trying to keep the amount of people interacting with each other and out in the field um, to a minimum. So that so that's kind of been to a lesser degree doing all of that um, proactive maintenance um, because it often involves more than one person having to do it and having to interact with people. Um, and having to get contractors and subcontractors, mm -hmm. but in the, it, within like 
the business side of things, um, all of our performance engineers and, and the reliability experts that we have, them looking at, okay, in six months, what kind of changes can we make? In a year, what kind of changes can we make to make sure that this um, turbine is still is still producing optimally and mm-hmm. looking at new ways to pull in that data. Um, so, you know, creating our own API to make sure that we could provide that data. So we aren't just um, exporting um, spreadsheets anymore. Right. Um, you know, aut- or even just automating the exports of spreadsheets and, um, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, that the, the API, the, that API work, you and I worked on that just recently and it, it kind of, um, I think that was a pretty, I don't know, I'm learning something about the, the value of that. I, I kind of, um, you first came to it, you, you first requested it, you had a request, maybe you could tell us a little bit about that request. And, um, and I was kind of like, uh, yeah, okay, sure, let's do this. But it, it's turned into something a bit more, right? So you want to tell, tell the story about how, how yeah. it started out and maybe where we are now? Because <laughs> it's kind of interesting. So- yeah, so it started out in kind of, um, there's two different portions to kind of how we we got where we are today. So there was the, um, there was a data science request um, to uh, be able to access the data programmatically um, for actually a yaw offset um, mm-hmm. use case. And this is data from the Pi system, right? Data from yeah. the Pi system, yeah. Um, and so, you know, there's things like the Pi Web API and um, uh, just you know, the SDK, other ways to access it, but this was, uh, they wanted to access it via Python and um, they wanted it in kind of a very easily digestible manner without having to learn the PyWeb API and um, just get really in depth because that's not the main portion of their job. The main portion okay. of their job is actually processing and analyzing this data. Uh, so we took what, what had already been done for Orca for the, for the actual site, the application that we have, and kind of uh, made it available to this user so that way they could start pulling that data. Um, and then we got a request to display EDF uh, or PI data, excuse me, on the EDF website um, from a third party. They, this run, is they a, run pu- our, the public website, right? The public okay. website, yes. So EDFRE. Uh, edf-re.com and um, there's pi data showing on there uh, cool. so yeah so um <laughs> but it was a it's a third party who actually does the the website design and runs it uh, so we needed to be able to provide them access to our data without actually giving them access to our system or giving them ability to access any other data than what they were looking for and so from there, um, Lonnie really embarked upon the journey of figuring out how they could authenticate uh, to the API without, um, you know, and make sure that they were authorized for only that, um, those specific requests and, and that sort of thing. So it was, it was quite a journey. Um, but now, uh, as of about three weeks ago, we deployed mm-hmm. a whole new version where it's, we've just gotten fantastic feedback where you can grab a summary data, recorded data, interpolated data, um, just anything a user might need, but without having to learn the Pi system uh, and learn it in depth and understand, um, you know, the ins and outs of, uh, you know, the web API. Like we've got a single page worth of documentation. Um, you know, it's OAuth 2.0. Uh, just 
and we've just gotten fantastic feedback because the users can just start using it from day one and not have to struggle with it. And, and yeah, I think I think what surprised me was, well, like the amount of work that we ha- actually had to do. Yeah, the the security part was a bit of a pain in the ass just because I'm not a um, you know I'm not a security expert. So, but 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 even after after that was figured out, it wasn't it wasn't that bad. There was a plenty plenty of documentation to do it, you know, in a very legitimate way to where it was like truly secure. So that was like the hard part, at least technically. And then, you know, and then you were able to go in and kind of just wrap the SDK calls and some of the existing code that we already had, right? And so we're like, all right, cool, you know, moving on to the next project. <clears throat> but then, you know, um, they started using it. And then it was like, all of a sudden, you know, everybody was really getting, you know, pretty, you know, was getting excited because finally people were able to get to the data. And that's always been a struggle with Pi system. If you're not a Pi system expert or whatever, it's it's like there's a learning curve. And, and I think you pointed out very well there, that's not a lot of times that's not their job, right? Their job is to figure out something, you know, something else or working on some other problem. They just want the data. So... So that that just kind of like really surprised me. I just didn't think I I'd always been overthinking that a little bit. I think um, and and you know like well why don't they use a Pi Web API? And it's like well have you ever tried to use a Pi Web API? Um, it's good if you're a Pi expert because there's a lot of assumed knowledge right that you understand what the Pi system is you know and mm-hmm. how you do these queries and and all this stuff. And and OSI Soft has done a great job to provide that. And I think they initially provided that because people needed to be able to access the Pi data from other platforms. The SDK is just Windows. And so now you'd have, now you could do HTTP calls, HTTP calls uh, to, um, to the Pi system and get data, but it still didn't solve that problem. Right. And, and, yeah. and, but, the, but I guess the cool thing is what we discovered is like, that's not a hard problem to fix. Just, you know, uh, the requests are not that complicated, right? I mean, <laughs> that what these guys are asking, what these what these people are asking for is not is not a uh, not that much, really. Um, I think it's summed up in about it's in about um, five calls. We've covered about ninety yeah. percent of what they could ever want to do, or the the data that we they could possibly want to get, which is just. fantastic and i think which is what i think the usability of it and keeping that in the back of the mind that yeah this is not their job they are not experts um and we need to make sure that it's geared with that um you know keeping that in mind then uh you know and this this ties back really well with what you're saying earlier about starting out simple right and doing some simple small things you know, in this case, it was a necessity. We we had to like do something, right? Because we're, you know, this has been a problem ever since I've been working with EDF. People are always wanting to get the data and we're always trying, telling them, well, use a Pi Wave API, use the SDK, you know, have you checked out the integrator or whatever it might be, right? There's all these different kind of really big, heavy solutions that are probably overkill for the beginning of a project, like a lot of, with a lot of people that we we were dealing with. But we did a simple thing, and, and, and yeah, granted, this API is not massively scalable and can't handle a thousand concurrent connections or, you know, anything like that. Yes. It is, 
It is, it is, <laughs> it is friggin' secure though. Okay. <laughs> it is it's friggin' secure. Yeah. <laughs> so we, so, but those problems can, yeah, yeah. Those problems can be solved, right? We can take what we've done and we could actually, if, you know, in fact, the, the uh, people started requesting more and more data through this mechanism, uh, we're able to monitor that, right? We're able, we have control over it because it's at the API. And so we can actually like, we don't have to go to the Pi system directly. We can optimize, we can hold things in memory if we want to. I mean, that gives us all kinds of flexibility on the back end of handling whatever the situations are that, that could happen. But we didn't try to like figure it all out you know, day one. Yeah. And, and, and by extension, it kind of goes back to um, starting small for other use cases. If, if the first, you know, month of your two month project is just going to be getting data, uh, you know, that really slows down the whole, the whole process. And it it really makes it very difficult to have um, even if not actual results, just results, period, something you can put up on a PowerPoint slide and say, Here's what we have so far. Um, and mm-hmm. so to be able to provide users with something like this where, you know, we've got code snippets where day one they can be grabbing the data they need and just be off, you know, off to the races, yeah. uh, you know, we can really help facilitate that. Yeah, yeah. Great point. Um, yeah, awesome stuff. Uh, this has been a great conversation. I think we're just about out of time. So I think this is probably a good, good stopping point. Um so if people would like to uh, contact you or do you have uh, any contact information you want to share? Sure. Yeah, uh, I can be reached at uh, Kelsey, K-E-L-S-E-Y dot Bobeck, B-O-B-E-C-K at E-D-F dash R-E dot com. All right, Kelsey. Well, thanks again so much for being on my podcast. And um, I'm looking forward to getting this out and having people listen to it and see what everybody thinks. Um Okay, everybody, that's it for today. I'm Lonnie Bowling, and I hope you join me again next time for the Time Lords podcast.